0: Well, good morning to you. I hope you are doing well. Uh, If we haven't had the opportunity to meet in person yet, my name uh, is Dean, and I'm the lead pastor uh, here. Whether you are in the room or you're watching with us online, uh, we're grateful that you're with us today. Um, I would encourage you, if you are our guest, uh, to grab your smartphone right now, grab your tablet. um, Go to your web browser and type in lpguest.com. Certainly, if you're in the room, you can use one of the QR codes on one of the chairs uh, in front of you. To get you there. Um, two reasons to do that. One um, is that um, we have message notes that are available. Uh, they're interactive. You can type your notes into my notes, email those to yourself just as a reminder maybe of something that God is speaking uh, to you. We'll also use those message notes for a link later on um, in the message. The second reason to do that is that there's a digital guest card that's available uh, there. It'll take you 20 or 30 seconds, maybe 40 seconds now, to fill that out, if you'll go ahead and do that um, right now, because there are six different ministries that are listed on the bottom of that card. You choose the one that is nearest uh, to you. They're great ministries, doing great work there, doing things like wanting to um, end sex trafficking in our city, to uh, fight food insecurity in the city. And so whichever one you choose, we'll make an extra $5 donation to that particular ministry just because you allowed us to know that, uh, that you were with us uh, today. Um, I was thinking uh, last year um, I did a wedding, and I do my fair share, right, of, of weddings, enjoy them uh, very much. Uh, but I was doing a wedding, and there was a, this one particular wedding. There was a 20-year-old male photography assistant, not the photographer, but the photographer's assistant. And he was doing his second wedding. And before we were getting ready to go down the aisle, right before, um, he looks at me and he says, I did my first wedding two weeks ago. And whenever the pastor got ready to start, he forgot to tell everybody to sit down. It was confusing. It was kind of frustrating for the people. And then he looks at me and he says, don't do that. <laughs> and on the outside, you know, I was really humble. On the outside, I was like, wow, thanks. On the inside, I was actually very prideful. I was like, who do you think you're talking to, man? You think I'm a rookie, right? I've done my fair share, right, of weddings. like." I know what i'm doing here um very different inside right to outside so i go down the aisle um everything kind of gets set the bridesmaids start coming down the aisle and the 20 year old male photography he says he's got his camera and he's backing up and he got his feet tangled up and he fell down kind of on the on the side which i enjoyed very much i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i wanted to look at him and say don't do that <laughs> it's very let's get very proper i think For a lot of us, we can fall into that idea of uh, rookie Christianity, right? We can get a little prideful where we think that we grow beyond the basics of the faith. And so that's why starting a new year, we thought starting uh, a brand new series, we're calling it Broken Mirrors, where we're looking at some of the lesser uh, discussed characters from Hebrews uh, chapter 11. What we really want to do is we want to make sure, man, that we're starting this year off right. Solid foundation. Coming back to what we call um, our uh, our core values, and you know the people in Hebrews chapter 11 are called heroes, the heroes, uh, but they are broken heroes, um, broken heroes at best. The good news that we learn from them is that broken people, imperfect people like you and me, that broken people can reflect a perfect God. Now. As human beings, um, we have weird relationships, right, with mirrors. The Bible actually has a lot to say um, about mirrors. Think about verses like James chapter 1. If anyone hears God's word and does not do it, he is like a man who beholds his natural or his human face in a mirror and immediately goes his way and forgets what it is that he looks like, right? So what we're hoping is that these characters in Hebrews chapter 11 can become mirrors. for. Us. We love mirrors as humans, right? We love them and we hate them. Right because mirrors tell us uh, the truth. think about I mean even all the way down to our fairy tales, right? You think about Snow White and the Wicked queen and all of them mirror mirror on the wall right mirrors tell us things so our hope is that the characters in Hebrews eleven can become sort of a broken mirror that can help us do a soul kind of level evaluation through the context uh, of our five core values. We put them up in the lobby up high on the wall so we see them all the time we don't we don't forget about them they are uh, we talk about them like the acronym grasp right on a hand there's five of them so they are uh, the g uh, gospel identity reaching priority authentic community spiritual intimacy and personal ministry those five things are the core basics uh, of the biblical values um, for um, for our church we're going to talk about those five over the next over the next five um, sundays so as we start today i just I just want to say that the core values that we have, like, you can't reduce all of spiritual life down to those. There are spiritual disciplines, for example, like confession or fasting or things things like that that are not included in those terms. So spiritual life, all of spiritual life, is more than our core values, but I want to say it is never less than these five values. So we're going to jump in today. Uh, with the idea of gospel identity, and we say that gospel identity means that we are new. Second Corinthians, right, chapter five: If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, behold, the old things are passed away, and all things are made new. That in our new life in Christ, Jesus has moved us right from death to life, so that uh, we become we become new. And we're going to look at that reality in light of. A character that we don't talk about very much uh, from the scriptures, but he's the first one listed in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, and it's the character Abel. We're going to learn two things about uh, Abel from uh, Abel, maybe is the better way to, to say that. Number one, his offering was acceptable, and the second thing that we're going to learn is that his voice is eternal. His offering is acceptable; voice is eternal. So, if you got a copy of the scriptures, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And we will start reading in verse 4. By faith. And that's the thing about Hebrews 11. Like the people who do things in, in Hebrew, it's always by faith, by faith, by faith. That's the context, really the leading thought in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice uh, than Cain. So Adam and Eve leave the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 4. Um, and Eve gives birth to her first God bless Eve, right, by the way. Um, she did all things woman. Uh, without, I mean, you know, no, no nurses, no uh, doulas, no epidural, like all things woman without a manual, right? She gives birth to her first son, and she names him Cain. Then she has a second son that is born, um, and she names him Abel. These two boys, two brothers, they grow up and choose different career paths. Cain is a farmer. Abel is a rancher. And in the context of Genesis chapter 4, both of them bring offerings to God. So now we're going to go from Hebrews 11, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to pick up a little bit of the the narrative there. We'll start reading in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face, uh, his face was downcast. So both of them bring offerings to God. God receives Abel's offering, the younger brother, the second brother, the older brother, maybe who's a little bit of the competitor, who's a little bit of the overachiever, who's a little always a step ahead. He, God does not receive um, Cain's offering, and Cain is upset. He is angry um, about it. Now, this brings up some questions, right? Uh, first, why does God want offerings? Do You ever think about that? Why does, why does God even receive offerings? So, so if Cain is a farmer, right? He's bringing, the scriptures say, some of the, the harvest of the produce, so let's say it's vegetables, or let's say it's fruit, right? He, he, does God need fruit? Like, is he low on vitamin C, right? Does God, why does God even want for, and, and Abel brings a lamb. He brings one of his, you know, he's a rancher. He's raising animals. He bring, does God, does he like gyros? Like, is that, was that why? He, and it's, that's the way you pronounce it, by the way. I learned it my freshman year at Ohio State when I walked into the Greek village on South Campus. I met Rula. She and her husband had immigrated from Greece uh, over, and I walk in, I'm a kid from Southern Ohio. I'm like, I'd like a gyro. She said, we now have gyros. We have gyros. So I got my first Greek lesson. It was not in seminary, right? It was, it, here's a faith principle. Generosity, my level of generosity, your level, generosity is a reflection, right? It's a mirror. Generosity is a reflection of gospel identity. See, if God doesn't need our offerings, he created fruit, he created lambs, then why does he, why does he ask for them? That begs a more fundamental question. Why does God give us stuff? Why does he give us possessions? Why does he give us the mental faculties, the physical abilities, really to even, to even earn a living? Why, why is this even a thing? So if I were to ask you that, why do you think... Why do you think God gives you possessions? Why does he give you stuff? Why does he provide for your If your answer to that question is, well, God's a good God. God wants to bless me. You're 50% of the way there. But God doesn't want to bless me for me. That's, I'll say it to you this way, gospel identity means we are new, right? That is old thinking right? You're only halfway. If your answer is God wants to bless me so that I can become a blessing to others, now you just aced the test, right? You went from 50% to 100%. See, that's new thinking. The idea that I have been made new means that God wants to bless me. Part of it at least is a reflection of this idea that God wants to bless me so that I can become something greater, something better, something more, more cheerful, more useful in the context of the world. So by faith, Abel did it, and by faith, you and I will do we'll do the very same thing. We will face this reality that's more blessed to give than it is than it is to receive. And God's got a genius method for generosity. It's called tithing. Tithe is just an Old Testament word that means one-tenth, right? So God gives us 100 percent of what we have. He says, "You keep 90 percent as a start on generosity, and you give 10% uh, back to me. It's biblical, it predates even the law in the Old Testament. It's kind of that starting block, starting place. And if you're sitting here you're thinking, Dean, man, I, if, you know, maybe you're new, maybe this is a completely new concept. You know, I'm, I'm, I would have to go from giving nothing to giving 10. I would just say start somewhere. Start 3%, 5%, start somewhere, working your way towards God's plan. But I also do want to say you that tithing is not the point. Tithing is not the, the reason that God spoke to Cain and Abel, the reason that God had them bring off, was not the point so God could accumulate, right? He's got it all. When you're like, well, if that's not the point. <laughs> what's the point? And the point, I believe, is explained to us in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses six and seven. Uh, it literally, these verses start By saying, and this, right, is, uh, and this is the point, right? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's verse 6. Then verse 7 says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not under reluctance or under compulsion, for God loves, and here's the key word, a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is the Greek word hilarion, where we get our word for, you know Greek, right? God wants us to be hilariously joyful, cheerful people. And part of that is connected to our heart, Our understanding of generosity because what happens with with these verses a lot of times is that people look at them and first they look at verse 6 which says well I don't really have to tithe because that verse says I can give whatever I decide in my own heart which is really not what that verse says but we think well I get to make the decision about that but to do that in verse 7 you have to get back to verse 6 what is what's the context the context is listen whatever you sow is what you're gonna if you want to if you want to uh, reap sparingly sow sparingly if you want to reap bountifully so bountifully who in here would say yeah i really i really want to reap sparingly i really that's what i no one would say that right and so there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me at the level of joy, at the level of cheer, at the level of living this kind of hilariously generous kind of life and reality that comes with how we are connected. It's the difference between old thinking and new thinking. Um, maybe think about it this way. So if uh, last year you took the opportunity to give to a nonprofit organization um, in the U.S., right? A 501c3 organization. Probably by the end of this month, you are going to receive a giving statement because of the way things work with tax purposes and all that thing. And certainly we try as a church to get those mailed out by the end of this this year. So if you gave to LifePoint last year, you'll get a giving statement, right? And um, every year when I get my giving statement, um, I open it up. I don't necessarily pay attention to the accumulation of that during, uh, during the year. But whenever I open up that giving statement, I, I simultaneously think two things, right? My first thought when I look at it is, man, I could have done a lot with that money. <laughs> you think that, do you ever feel that? You, I'm like, I could remodel a room with that or I could have I gotten a car, right, or I paid off a car, whatever. Uh, with that, I mean, I could have done a lot of that. You know what, That that's Cain thinking. That's old, thing, but that's part of who I am as a human being. It's part of who you are as a human being. But the other thing that I think the second thing that I think is I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be able to give back to God in comparison to everything that God has given to me, everything that he's done for me, to give a little back. Uh, to, see, that's able thinking. That's new thinking. And coming back to Cain and Abel. Um, man, I think Cain gets a lot of criticism here. And w- why so? Like what is the difference between their two offerings? that? God says yes to one and no to the other. It's in the nuance of the narrative, right? It says that Cain comes, he offers, um, he offers some of the produce uh, from his heart. So let's say Cain, um, let's say Cain reaps uh, 20 apples, right? And he gives one, uh, one of his 20 apples back to God um, as an offering, right? So one out of 20 that's uh, what. 5%? Uh, five, five I went to public school. 5%, uh, right? Is that, is about, he gives us a 5%, right? So he's got 19. He knows everything that he has, and he gives some of what he has. But the difference with Abel is this. So say Abel enters birthing season, right, and raising um, animals. And the scriptures say there that Abel gave the firstborn of his flock. So let's say um, Abel has 10 pregnant sheep, right? He's expecting 10 lambs. And he takes the first lamb and brings that one to God as an offering. He doesn't know what's going to happen yet with the other nine. Let's say um, eight of the nine, right, are uh, something happens. Some of them are stillborn. Coyotes get after some of that. Like there are circumstances where he loses eight of the nine. Then he's just, he's only got two, right? And he gave one of those as an offering. Like that feels very extra. But what the reality is, that's why the scriptures say by faith Abel gave an offering that was acceptable to him. He lives in faith in relation to the possessions that God gives him by giving back to God first and living this kind of generous, um, this kind of generous kind of life. And so, in the midst of this, what I love about God in the midst of this story is that God visits Cain. And this conversation becomes really important in verses six and seven. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, and this is the critical part, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God says to Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at the door of your heart right now be careful, Cain. Don't don't open that door. If I could quote my 20-year-old male uh, photography assistant from the wedding, don't do that, Cain. Don't don't do that. Realize what's going on right now. Um, There was uh, a Puritan, um, one of our kind of fathers in the faith, his name was John Owen. And John Owen is famous for saying, be killing sin, present perfect, right? We're Not one-time action, all the present perfect. Be killing sin on a regular basis or sin will be killing you. And I'll say to John Owen, I'll apologize because I'm going to adapt his statement. I'm going to say this to us today. You and I better be killing Cain or Cain will be killing us. Because what happens with Cain is he gets so angry he doesn't listen to what God says. Instead, he pours out the wisdom that God is giving. He sheds that wisdom so that he can shed the blood of his brother, and Cain murders Abel. And if you think you know humanity's not lost right without God, we're only three and a half chapters into the Bible, and already there's murder. Now the rest of the scriptures. They don't talk about Cain and Abel very much. There's just a few places along the way. And I'm gonna hit, I wanna talk about three of those. And the first one is in 1 John chapter three that says this, we should not be like Cain because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but I hear that and I'm like, evil? Like, his brother, like he brought some fruit, he brought some produce. Like they were evil? And yet, Abel's were righteous. Like man, that that seems tough, right? To me, I don't know about I don't know about to you. But what we are learning is that these two brothers we're going to see it in scripture. These two brothers are mirrors for us. They're going to reflect, and what they really become are two ways that you and I can approach God. We can either approach God where our lives are a response to salvation, what's been provided for us by God. Or we can offer our lives, we can approach God where our lives become a means to salvation. In other words, where I earn it because of the things that I do and, uh, and how good that I am. Uh, I thought about um, last week as I was thinking about this message, maybe this will help uh, frame it. About nine years ago, um, when we were over at our other building over at 7719 uh, Graphics Way, uh, we had some uh, Olentangy students uh, who wanted to come and help out by painting. And so we showed up uh, one morning at church and we had a white bus um, at the time. And overnight, some of those students had showed up and they had decided they wanted to help paint the bus. I'll show you a picture uh, of that and what their, what their artwork uh, looked like. And so I had to tell the church um, about it because I didn't want them to think that, you know, we were renaming our student ministry something edgy, like the villains, all of a sudden we're gonna call them the, right? And and actually it's not even that, it's the villains, right? That's what they originally, that's how we knew they were tangy gang, like the the biker gang's not gonna correct their spelling, right? (laughs) Liam, you spelled villains wrong, you know, like we knew, right? Like it had to be, it had to be these, these kids, right? Who, who've come along. And so for you and me, sometimes we think about, um, we've all done things right that we're not proud of, but how bad is bad and how good is good? Because I think a lot of us, certainly a lot of Americans have the mentality. Like if you were to say to them, Hey, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die when I'm trying? I'm a pretty good person. And we have this mentality, right, that it's almost like a high jump bar. Think about that. Like, it's like that God has a, a good enough bar. And what we think that we can do spiritually is that somehow we're going to do enough good that we're going to clear the good enough bar. Like, we're going to Fosberry flop our way, right, into, into eternity by just being good We don't want to be really, really good because that's not very fun, right? We just want to be just barely good. And now the problem with that theory is that nowhere in the Bible does God tell you and me what the height of that bar is. Like nowhere in scripture does God say, here's how good you have to be to earn your way into my king. And like I said, we've all done things that we're not proud of. So how bad is bad? How good is good. How do those things measure out? Uh, th- take these take these young people right who who painted the man. I mean are these are these boys gonna go to hell right because they painted um, because they painted the back of our van? Yes they are. <laughs> no I'm kidding. I kid I kid I'm not bitter I'm still not bitter. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> no I mean How do we know? What, how do we, how do we just, see the reason, the reason that Cain's deeds are evil in regards to this offering is because think about it from this perspective. This is what the New Testament is trying to say to us. Because if you and I can be good enough to earn the favor of God, to earn our way into salvation, to earn our way into heaven, then God was evil to send his one and only son to die for us on a cross to say that you and I can be good enough, to say that we can earn our way into the favor of God is to negate the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and to call that useless and to call that worthless. So these two brothers, they become this, this mirror. It's not just Cain and Abel. Because Jude, a little book right before Revelation, it's only one chapter, because Jude 11, also says this about Cain, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves. Remember those two words right there, abandon themselves, for uh, for the sake of gain. So what Jude says here is that Cain's life is not just a life. It's a way of life. Did you catch that? So that means that it's it's bigger, that it's broader than just Cain. There's a way that you and I can live where we just compare ourselves to other people and we think, well, you know, I'm trying to be a good person, I'll do my best, and because of that, whenever I get to heaven, God's gonna shake it all out and God's gonna understand that I'm a pretty good guy, that I'm a pretty good gal, and everything's everything's just gonna work its way out, everything's gonna be okay. And what the scriptures are trying to say to you and me is that we have to choose our gospel identity over our good enough identity. We have to live in the reality that we are made new by the finished work right, of Christ on the cross, not by us, not by ourselves, not by what we accomplish. because our tendency, like Cain, is to allow sin to crouch at the door of our lives and to answer it over and over and over again. How do you do that? You do that by what the verse said. You have to abandon yourself. It's the Greek word excheho, and it means to pour out like they poured out drink offerings, right, in the the Old Testament. It, uh, It means to sprint or to run away from. So God comes to us just like he came to Cain, and he offers us wisdom, right? He cares for us. He wants us to live a blessed, joyful, hilariously cheerful kind of life. So he comes to us, and he offers us wisdom. And so what you and I have to do is we have to dump that out. We have to pour that out. We have to sprint away. We actually have a psychological term, right, for people who know the right thing to do but constantly, consistently struggle doing the wrong thing, the same wrong thing, over and over and over and over. What do we call it? Self-abandonment. Just like the verse says, they abandon. It's almost like God knew, right? That we abandon ourselves over and over and over again. God says, listen, that's not the life that you would choose. That's not the life that I would choose for you. But Cain listens. And Cain responds. And Cain murders Abel. But the thing that you love about God is that God won't quit. That God again comes to Cain in Genesis chapter four and verse 10, and here's what he says. The Lord said, what have you done? Speaking to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What a weird thing to say. He's like, look, Cain, you ex-Cheho, you poured out my wisdom so that you could pour out your brother's blood on the ground. What have you you done? You can't hide this. Abel's blood speaks. His voice is eternal. I can can hear it. It's, It's crying out for justice. It's crying out for vengeance. Cain, Cain, what have you done? And the good news for Cain And the good news for you and me is that one of the few times Abel is mentioned in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, we read about that. He's one of only two characters that's mentioned in the next chapter in Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it says this about Abel. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, Jesus, both God and man, so he can mediate between, right, the two. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, speaking of the the blood, right, that was sprinkled in the Old Testament on the mercy seat, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Man, that is great news. That the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Word, you and me, people whose sin has crouched at the door of our lives over and over and over. We're the ones we've answered the door and answered. The, and listen, the, the, the bad news, right, on our side is that Jesus looked at a crowd one day in the Gospels and he says, this crowd, y'all are guilty of the blood of Abel. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Cain's the one who murdered Abel like thousands of you How am I guilty of the blood of Abel? And the idea like that Jesus is saying is what you don't understand. You're self-righteous. You think you've got this good enough I identity where you think you can be good enough, right, to get over, to get over that bar. But in your own self-righteousness, it's really only it only becomes self-condemnation, right, to you. And so in all of that, have we sinned differently than Cain? Absolutely. Are there different consequences for sins? Absolutely. And we like Cain, we're all in the same boat. We're all separated from God when we're born into this world. We all have the need of a savior and the good news for all of us is that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It spoke a better word um, uh, over, over Cain. It speaks a better word over you and me. So for the sins that you and I have committed right in our lives, those sins would speak a word. Justice just like they did over Cain, like justice for what he did to Abel. Those words would speak over our lives, captive, condemned, guilty. But when Jesus goes to the cross and sheds his blood for us, by the way, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he gathers up the disciples. He has what we call the last supper. You know what he says to the disciples? This is my blood, what's the next word? poured out, exact same word, this is my blood that is poured out for the payment of the remission of your sins. The moment the blood of Jesus hits the ground right underneath the cross, the blood of Jesus, these verses say, speak a better word because Jesus has mediated a new covenant. He has brought us together with God. He gives us the potential of having the life that you and I are designed for. So instead of for the things that you've done wrong, the things that some people know about, and probably a lot of things that people don't know about that would speak over uh, your life guilty, Jesus' blood says free. For the things that you and I have done that um, that would say justice, the blood of Jesus says over our lives, it says mercy. It speaks a better word, which means what? Which means that you can live a hilariously blessed life. That you can live by faith. That you can live by faith, Cindy. You can live by faith, Blake. You can live by faith, Arthur. That the same way that Abel lived has been opened, heaven has been opened to you and me in relationship with God because of the wonder of the sacrifice of Jesus. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to live according to your standard or anybody else's, there's a much higher standard and a much higher joy and a much higher level of cheer that I get to live to. So as you come into a new year, just think, what's your identity? Are you living in a good enough identity? Or are you living out a gospel identity where you're coming to God regularly on a basis of humility, asking God to do in you what you can never do in yourself to transform you, to change you? Who do you want to be as we begin a new year? And what path, right? Don't walk in the way of Cain. What path is it that you're going to walk to get you there? The blood of our Savior speaks a better word. And so that's why we're going to take the opportunity this morning to sing and to worship as we start 2024, to say for the sense of gratitude, thank you for what you have done for us. Let's pray together. God, we, um, we want to begin this new year that way, embracing our gospel identity, not declaring our goodness, not declaring our righteousness, but God saying that we stand in you, that we are united with you. And as we sing to you this morning, God, um, my prayer is that our gratitude, not just from our lips, but our gratitude from our hearts, that we are free, that we are forgiven, that we have been, um, that we have been given a clean slate by you, that that... God, that that will please you. We are so grateful for your cross, your sacrifice, and your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.